When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 80 of Bleeding Blue. And this past Sunday, the New York football Giants lost their season opening game against the Dallas Cowboys by a score of 35 to 17. And it was not fun. It was not great. It was very disappointing. However, week one is over. David and I are going to try to break down this game with a level head and look forward to next week against the Bills. So without further ado, let's bleed blue. David, um, this weekend wasn't fun. This Sunday was not fun. No. No, on the bright side, there's a part of me that appreciates playing at 4.30 because then I was able to enjoy the 1 o'clock games. I was able to, to still enjoy week one of football. But no, it wasn't fun. I also enjoyed you know, formations and personnel with- beating your ass in fantasy this week. It didn't help me. I thought I made a good pickup. I was in bed. I was laying in bed Sunday morning. And I wasn't happy with my my super flex player being Marcus Mariota. So I decided to make what I thought was a very smart decision. Pick up Nick Foles, who was playing the Chiefs. And I figured it's going to be a shootout. I think Jacksonville's pretty good this year. I think they're gonna, they've are they kind of retooled. I think they're good. And Nick Foles looks good. He throws a beautiful touchdown pass on touchdown pass. Breaks his collarbone. And that was night-night for my team. It does also help that your running backs combined for like 65 points. Yeah, my uh, my Dalvin Cook-Christian uh, McCaffrey combination is looking pretty nice right now. Yeah, it's complete bullshit. But congratulations. We'll meet again later. We'll meet again. Um, David, uh, we have some uh, things that we just want to address first, and then we're going to get right into Giants talk. If you are a first-time listener, we want to welcome you to Bleeding Blue. We were where we are, Bleeding Blue, for the New York Football Giants, a fan podcast that brings a fan perspective and laughs, where we try not to take things too, too seriously. However, we are probably going to maybe even get a little upset and a little disappointed throughout this episode. But again, we're going to try. We are, we are going to cry. We're going to try to keep a level head. I think that is the one thing that I even had on Sunday. I'm more mad at Giants Twitter than I am at actually the whole game result, and we'll get into that, but neither here nor there. I'm Justin, Justin Panic, JPanic74 on Twitter. I'm a transplanted Giant fan and Yankee fan. I live in Philadelphia. I'm from New Jersey. I love to go to Giants games. David and I will be at the game this Sunday against the Buffalo Bills, and that's going to be a lot of fun. We'll be sure to make some content and do some things from there. Um, and I sure. hope, and I, if you're a first time listener, I hope uh, you enjoy 
what we do. David, tell a little bit. Of, tell a little bit about yourself, just in case we have a first time listener. David, as Justin said multiple times, I am also obviously a Giants fan, Yankees fan, also big Knicks fan. For the record, not that we care about basketball on this podcast. Yeah, went to school with Justin uh, a couple years ago, too many years ago now. Tend to go to a couple games a year, uh, and Justin and I try to try to meet up at some point so we can get some content done and, and spend a little bit of time together, especially at a tailgate. Yeah, and I'm a sad Giants fan today. I'm a sad Giants fan, Justin. Sad Giants fan. I think fan. we all are. Sad Giants fan. But as a podcast, uh, really, I don't know if I've ever taken a, a moment to – thank people for what was an incredible summer for bleeding blue oh yeah absolutely i think by the time we had yeah by the time we had episode 50 out we had 55 star ratings we're at episode 80 and we have 78 five star ratings on the apple podcast app it has been really an incredible summer for us um we're getting there we're growing a little bit little bit by bit and I really just want to thank, like genuinely from the bottom of my heart, for all of you who listen, for all of you who support, um, even if you support directly on Twitter, if you've left a five-star rating before, if you just support indirectly where I I've not, I don't even know you, I don't even know your name, but you're here and you're listening. I just thank you, thank you, thank you. It has been such a fun summer. Even though it wasn't a fun start to the season, I really am hoping for a very fun season. I think people who listen like and listen consistently over the summer could probably imagine this. But Justin, l- let's give them a little peek into a uh, little peek into the behind the scenes here. This summer was a grind. Was it not? Yes. Summer was a grind. A lot we we put a lot of content out. We tried to stick to, you know, getting an episode of, an episode done a day. There were a couple of nights we were up very very late. Justin, you even later than me because I get to go to bed and then you start editing. So yeah, we 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 really put a lot of work into in, into the summer and and there's some long nights and we really do enjoy it. It's the kind of thing where it's like we got to get up to do it. Once we start doing it, I think we have a very good time. But it was a grind, so it was really really nice. And the only reason why we kept grinding was because I think we saw people, we saw the we we saw the increasing numbers. We saw that we saw the um, interaction on Twitter. We saw the interaction in our play numbers. So, you know, basically, the more you interact and the more the people kind of show us that they like our content, the more content you'll get from us. I, I, that's the way I would look at it. We we feel it, we really really do appreciate all of the support and all of the listening. Um, and it should be a good season. Even if the Giants don't perform very well, we will still we will try to put out the best content we can. So here's our podcast schedule moving forward. We're going to say this really quick. Then we're going to get to some macro thoughts on the game on Sunday. We're going to be having our regular episodes recapping the game from the weekend on Wednesdays. It will be released late Tuesday night, and then it'll be available for you Wednesday morning and then for the rest of the week beyond. We are also going to have pregame shows that we are going to be posting on the main channel. It is no longer going to be a separate podcast feed for the pregame show. It is going to be just released on this podcast page Sunday morning slash late Saturday night. And then also every once in a while to kind of uh, cap off the week, we may have an interview thrown in here and there, not every single week, but, you know, depending on, you know, what what I have going on, because I'm still a college student, I'm a senior in college, so I have a, a lot of different things going on at campus and school, everything, school comes first for me. So we have some friends of the show who would love to just hop on and, and uh, talk about the Giants and talk about the state of the Giants. So 
whenever we have some extra times and whenever some schedules line up, we could have three episodes every single week. Um, one being a regular episode, one being a pregame show, and one being an interview. So that's our schedule moving forward. David, let's talk about macro thoughts on the Giants game. It ended 35-17. We lost. It was not great. It started out so fun. It started out 7 to nothing. We stopped Dallas. We bended, but we didn't break. We went out there on offense. We scored seven points. It was so fun. Everything was so fun. And then after that, the fun kind of stopped from there. So, uh, David, give us your macro thoughts on the game, and then we'll get to our game balls, giant shitheads of the week, and continue on talking. So a couple of people on Twitter, or at least you know somebody on Twitter at some point, asked why exactly we hadn't, why we waited so long to put an episode out. And that was our friend Glenn. Glenn Warsiski, NYG Underground. Glenn, friend of the show, asked why we take why why we hadn't put an episode out. Like, were we even gonna were we putting an episode out? Like, were we not analyzing this? Of course we are. But Justin, you and I both talked about how we wanted to give it time. We wanted to sit with it. We wanted to sit with some film. We wanted to sit with just thoughts and try to not come from a, a super emotional point of view because the point is you and I are both very very passionate and we're and and again we stress this all the time we're a fan podcast so first and foremost we're fans so we are frustrated fans when they look as bad as they did on Sunday we're frustrated and the last thing we should be doing is getting on the mic and and giving you our frustrated thoughts so my macro thoughts for the game after a couple of days sitting with it is I went on this podcast uh on the pregame show and I said Giants are going to win. In hindsight, I now realize how foolish that was. Not because they lost, but I felt like I underestimated how good Dallas was. I forgot how good Dallas was, and I think they're better than they were. I think they're better than advertised, which is really saying something. I forgot that. And Justin, you made the perfect point on the pregame show talking about the newness of this team was going to hurt them. And Dallas knows who they are. We don't yet. We're working on it. This is a team that's coming together. And that's exactly what happened. At the end of the day, this is not a game to sit there and say after week one, this is not a game to say to start calling for Pat Shermer's job, start calling for Dave Gettleman's job, to suggest Eli gets benched, to uh, blame play calling, to say that the rookie draft picks on defense are busts already. It's not time for any of that. What it comes down to is the, the macro way to look at this game is Dallas is probably the second most complete team in the NFC. The Giants are a rebuilding team that at the very best case scenario for this season is going to compete for a wild card. And we knew all of this coming in. We knew all exactly. We knew all of this come we knew all of this coming in and I think the summer went well. We were happy. The team has a, there's a lot of reason for optimism for this team. That has not gone away. There's a lot of reason for optimism. I love the direction they're going in. Rome wasn't built in a day. Neither were the Giants. And when it comes down what what, what that what ends up happening when you play a team like that on the road, you lose 35-17. And it was really 35-10, let's be honest. You get out, you get out, you get out. We got out coached. I'll say it. They did get out coached. We'll get into that later. But you just get, you, you get soundly beat on both sides of the ball. And what the, what Dallas managed to do was get the Giants so far out of their game plan that coaching didn't have a chance. Coaching didn't have a chance. The players didn't have a chance. 
it was over relatively quickly. So relax. Everybody relax. Take a deep breath because the next three weeks, I think, are more accurate barometers of where this team is. And maybe if things go really well, they start hitting a stride and you start playing some more difficult teams and you work up to those teams. But Buffalo, Tampa, Washington, that's more our ball, that's more our ballpark right now. Correct. So let's focus on these next three weeks. David, I don't it's so tough to evaluate because that's all the people are doing. They're trying to scapegoat and say, well, it's Betcher, well, it's Shermer. And it's so tough to scapegoat when you have such poor performances all around because this Cowboy team had so much continuity, so much consistency, defending division champs. The Giants had two returning starters in their secondary. They had only... Two, basically two returning starters on their offensive line, which the offensive line looked great, but I'm just, the point is, there's so much newness on the Giants that what did you really expect? I'm not saying that this was terrible. David, this was terrible, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I'm not underselling that. But if you expected the Giants' defense to come out here and to just be in sync with each other, that was not going to happen. It was just not going to happen. The newness and the youth of this defense, now you could talk about the youth all day, but mainly the main guys and the main pieces that disappointed on this Giants defense were veterans, which Mm -hmm. is, that's the most frustrating part. That's the most frustrating part. But before we get to some concrete players and concrete, actually, storylines, I want to bring some things up. Besides just bad defensive play, besides just just piss poor defensive play, mental errors, penalties, those are two things that I really, especially in the first half, plagued this Giants defense. And it also just plagued this Giants team. You can also include on offense as well. David, how many times did the Cowboys find themselves in a third and long? Or how many times did the Cowboys get themselves in uncomfortable situations on offense by either a holding penalty or some sort of penalty themselves, they found themselves in a third and long, and then the Giants shot themselves in the foot because they would commit a penalty on third down. Yeah. Multiple times. Yeah. Multiple, multiple times. How many times did we see mental errors with these penalties? What the hell is Antonio Hamilton doing trying to tackle Amari Cooper by his shoulders, not wrapping up, lowering your shoulder, going for the legs, none of that. So David, you can point to all of these different things that aren't just bad play, but they're mental errors and very fixable things. Now, this isn't to say that the Cowboys were going to lose this game if the Giants just fixed up these mental errors and penalties, but it could have changed the complexion of the game. It could have given the Giants the ball back multiple times. And then guess what? Saquon Barkley would have gotten more opportunities to do more things with the football. But how many times did you see the Cowboys get second and long, therefore a third and long, automatic first down by a Giants penalty, the drive starts all over again? 
the Cowboys had the ball for so long, David. They had the ball for so long. They had the ball for 19 minutes in the first half, David. That's a long time. It's 66% of the time. Yeah, they flipped the script on exactly what I had been saying was going to be the Giants' game plan. When the if the Giants are going to execute their game plan correctly, they're gonna they're gonna hold the ball. It's gonna be ball control. It's gonna be it's gonna be ugly. But the the real problem was not only did Dallas maintain to hold the ball, but they maintained to hold the ball through the air, which is really it's the way that they ran their offense and the time of possession they had don't go together. They usually that doesn't make any sense. A quarterback generally does not throw for four hundred yards. And own time of possession by probably by the end of the game more than more than ten minutes. But that's what happens when you're moving forward and then you're moving back. Then you're moving forward and you're moving back. And they were doing a lot of that during the first half, where they were almost shooting themselves in the foot. But the Giants were shooting themselves in the foot even more. Where right. every time the Cowboys would move back, the Giants would allow such a huge play through the air, and that's why those stats were padded. I agree. The mental errors, and it's the kind of thing that. You can game plan as as well as you want. You can execute your game plan as as well as possible. But for in the NFL, for everything you can do right, there's something you can do wrong that will negate it. And it doesn't matter how well oiled your team is. I don't care if you're the Giants, the Dolphins, or the Patriots. If you consistently take penalties on third and eight, if you consistently take a penalty. I'm not saying this happened, but if you consistently false start on second and six, if you consistently on a third and 12 get a five-yard defensive holding penalty, you're going to lose football games. The Giants were bad defensively. They were absolutely fucking terrible. But think about how different of a game this might have been if those mental errors and if those stupid little penalties weren't present in the first half. That's all that I'm saying. That played a huge part in how this game played out. It's not playing a huge part in how this game was portrayed. So those are our macro thoughts from the game. Defense sucked. Offense, I thought, played well. They moved the ball. Let's get to our game ball. Let's get to our giant shithead of the week. We'll break down the offense and defense separately after we do our game ball and giant shithead of the week. But those are kind of like our macro thoughts. David, who's your first game ball going to? My first game ball is going to go to, it's one of my classic uh, splitting the ball in five pieces. Um, It's going to the offensive line. If you had told me on Sunday morning that Eli was going to be sacked one time, Saquon Barkley in the first half would have 75 rushing yards or whatever he had in the first half. I would have thought to myself, that is about the best recipe we could have asked for offensively. Because what I said on Sunday was, protect Eli. That's what they have not been able to do against Dallas. Protect Eli. Get him some time. Let the offense do some stuff. Do some things. We didn't hear from any of the, the Cowboys front seven is nasty, as we addressed on Sunday. And they were held silent. The Giants just didn't have, they just didn't have the ball to do anything. But the offensive line, I thought, for all the newness on the offensive line, performed very, very well. Great sign going forward. And they did it against a very, very good front seven. Fantastic front seven. Yeah. Brian uh, they, ba- Brian Baldinger was breaking down um, some Giants film during his, you know, Baldy breakdowns. At one point, 
during a, one of Saquon's uh, positive running plays, the Giants looked like they were at a five-man sled where it was just so perfect. Five guys all at the same level, same level of engagement, all in front of their men doing their jobs, and it was it was beautiful. It's it's like it was like a fucking uh, Picasso painting. Is Picasso an, an artist? Is he a painter? Yes, yes, he is. Great. It was like a it was like a fucking Picasso painting. It was nice beautiful. And Pro Football Focus, according to Pro Football Focus, uh, I I know everybody really liked this stat. Now that I was actually saying something good about the Giants, <laughs> overall they ranked them as the best offensive line group from Week One. Very very positive. Very, very happy about what they about what they did as a group, and they definitely do deserve a game ball. And again, against a very, very good defense, they're going to have a pretty tough test next week as well against what is a pretty solid run defense in the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, and, and I think the offensive line has a – they have a goal, and that goal should be, first and foremost, you're opening up running lanes for Saquon Barkley. And they showed an ability to do that consistently then it should be to be able to protect Eli Manning they showed an ability they showed an ability to do that consistently against a very good front seven Buffalo's front seven as far as pass rushing ability is not near what Dallas what 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 Dallas is capable of so logically looking at it you should be able to say that the offense should be able to as long as they get the ball should be able to continue moving the ball and continue producing and and sustaining drives I was relatively happy with what I saw with the offense, and we'll talk about why. There are obviously errors, but relatively happy with what I saw from the offense. Uh, David, I'm going to give my first game ball to Tay Davis. Tay Davis didn't necessarily have a flashy day on the stat sheet. He only had a few tackles. He even had less tackles than Alec Ogletree, who I thought had a very bad game. But Really, David, there was one play where Tay Davis made in the run game where he absolutely obliterated Ezekiel Elliott, really made a nice tackle, really made a nice tackle. It was around the line of scrimmage, so it didn't go down as a tackle for loss, um, but he really wrapped up, really used his shoulder. It, it was it was beautiful. And even if there was a certain play where I believe he allowed a catch to either Mike, Michael Gallup or Amari Cooper, but he was in zone coverage. And I mean, if, even if Tay Davis is a former safety in college, he's a linebacker in the NFL. And covering those guys are tough to do, even if you're a freaking cornerback, as, as Antonio Hamilton and DeAndre Baker found out this weekend. So he really made a very good effort play of trying to swat a ball down and get a pass deflection on a play while he was playing in zone coverage against one of those speedy wide receivers. Dak Prescott just had impeccable ball placement on that play. So really, Tay Davis just looks a lot more comfortable in his role this year as an inside linebacker. So Tay Davis gets my game ball. Definitely going to be real. I, in my brain, I am relying on him a lot more now to really step up and to be uh, really a leader. I mean, I know Alec Ogletree has the C on his shirt, but he's just a waste of space in my opinion. And we, and maybe maybe I'll give him. I, I Honestly, Alec Ogletree doesn't even deserve the giant shithead of the week award because I shit on him every single week. And you there's do. a reason why I do it, because he fucking sucks and he is a waste of space. Justin, is he getting close to um, uh, shot into the sun territory? No. No, he's not, because at least, oh, God. You're thinking about it. 
Because Alec, because Alec, yeah, because Alec Ogletree actually does things that are tangibly good. But at least week one, total waste of space. Just d- d- looked totally lost. Him and Antoine Bethea together looked totally lost. Okay, so we can talk about Shitheads in a second, Justin. I don't know who you're going to pick because I thought I knew who you were picking, and now I don't know because Alec Ogletree, you sound very, very upset with Alec Ogletree. So he doesn't even deserve the attention. Let me, okay, Justin, hush. Hush. Let me, let me, let's continue right. for like two more minutes talking about positive things and then we can talk about our shitheads. Um, my second game ball, because we, we are giving two game balls. Um, my second game ball is going to go to Evan Ingram. I've been saying all summer, Evan Ingram, breakout player, X Factor. Uh, my hot, my hot take for the week was he would have two touchdowns. So you have no idea how excited I was when he, when he caught the first touchdown. I thought I'm a genius. I'm going to get like a thousand followers on Twitter because I'm like a savant and I can see things into the future. And then of course, you know, they managed a whole nother 10 points the rest of the game. But aside from that touchdown, you saw early on, you saw creative play calls for him. You saw the the tight end screen on the second drive went for about 15. He had, he had a nice catch down the field in the second half. Also want to point out, because we talked about this on his player, on his player preview, he on the 59 yard run for Saquon on the first drive, he had the impact block. He had the X block. Sealed the edge, left Saquon in an enormous hole. Evan Ingram's pass block, uh, run blocking has improved, and we saw him used cre- creatively, which needs to continue happening, especially now with Sterling Shepard in the concussion protocol. Dave, he caught that first touchdown pass, and I'm thinking. He's going to catch another one, and David's going to be right because that was a bold, that was a hot take. Yeah, he is. That he was going to have two touchdown catches because you said that during the pregame show. Not if you understand what this team is supposed, how the team should be playing this year. I also said during the pregame show that Cody Latimer was going to be the team's leading receiver in terms of receiving yards. And for 75% of the game until the fourth quarter, I think, because Cody Latimer had that huge catch in the third quarter. So after three quarters, I'm pretty sure Cody Latimer was the team's leading receiver. So I'm thinking to myself, holy shit, are David and I not the best? But almost. Uh, Evan Ingram wound up (laughs) leading the team in receiving yards. So listen to the pregame show because David and I are going to try to predict the future and sometimes we do a good job with it. Anyway, um, my second game ball is going to go to Saquon Barkley. He did fumble, did fumble. That is a that is a thing that I'm just remembering that happened in my brain right now. But Elijah Penny fell on it, so it's like totally fine, right? Uh, the next play ran for sixty yards, and then, yeah, the next play had a fifty nine yard carry. So despite not playing in uh, preseason, David, I'd, I'd sure say Saquon Barkley uh, scratched off that rust uh, relatively quickly. But I'm going to make the argument when we talk about the offense more specifically, why the amount of carries that he got for this game shouldn't be as much of a big deal as it is. So we're going to talk more about that. I know a lot of people are waiting on that. David, let's get to our giant shitheads of the week. You start. Okay, I think we should run through the shitheads pretty quick because the point is we know who played bad. Right. And it was a lot of people, all in the defense. Uh, I'm going to start off, I'm going to go Antoine Bethea, as as you already alluded to. I vacillated. I thought about the Andre Baker. I thought about Antonio Hamilton. I'm going with Bethea for one main reason. The reason is we expect better from him at this point. We were gushing about him and thought he's exactly what the secondary needs. It's it's a, it's a, a veteran guy who won't bite 
on every single play fake the Cowboys threw at him. Every single play action, Antoine Bethea either froze or took two to three steps up. Every single one. And he was along with a lot of the defense. But Tay Davis does that. Even Jabril Peppers or the corners or Lorenzo Carter. I Those I can excuse a little bit more. Antoine Bethea can't do that. Especially not after it's happened three times already and you got burned for, for a touchdown, for the Cowboys' first touchdown, where there was nobody within 15 yards of, is it Blake Jarwin? Yeah, it's Blake Jarwin, yeah. Blake Jarwin. You can't do that. You you can't be the second weakest piece of a defense as the veteran safety. The second weakest member of the secondary in a game. It's inexcusable. One of the things that we were saying during his previewing the Giants episode is, the dude's just consistent. The dude's just there. There's not much to really break down here because of how consistent he's been throughout his entire NFL career. Do I think that he's going to be terrible throughout the season? I certainly hope not. But one week is not really the the time to draw major drastic conclusions about a player. But if week one is any indication on what we are going to get from Antoine Bethea, again, the mental errors constantly biting and looking in the backfield during play action, allowing that first touchdown to Blake Jarwin. The first offensive play of the third quarter of that second half that Dallas had, Amari Cooper just ran right by him, ran right by him off the line of scrimmage, and it went for like a 40-yard gain right after the Giants scored a field goal, and the team needed a stop. So they had that first play, and Antoine Bethea allowed it, and you're like, oh, well, Cowboys probably just going to go down there and score seven again, which they did. And at that point, it was 28-10, and you're basically saying, oh, three scores, game's over in the middle of the third quarter. A lot of that was him. It's a team game, David, but basically you can look at two separate plays and two separate drives and be like, Antoine Bethea allowed 14 points. This is the obvious one, right? Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to give this guy giant shithead of the week, and that's um, that's Nate Stupar. No, huh, huh, no. Um, and that's Antonio Hamilton. David, I made a I made a video at one point uh, during the uh, during the football game the, this past weekend. You know the game that we played on Sunday, and what I typically do sometimes is I just record entire drives. I record entire drives, and if an interesting moment happens from that drive, I'll make a video of it. I'll clip it. I'll put it on Twitter but I'm screen recording almost the entire time. And I figured once the Dallas Cowboys actually went and they scored a touchdown during this one particular drive, um, I believe it was during the first half, during maybe even the second quarter, where there was one particular drive where they were just every single play targeting Antonio Hamilton. He was allowing a catch. Targeting Antonio Hamilton, he was allowing a catch. Targeting Antonio Hamilton, he was allowing yards after the catch. It was just... It, it was incredible. It was honestly incredible to watch. So I made this video, and it was a 36-second compilation video of Antonio Hamilton allowing catches from one drive. And I edit these videos to only include game action. <laughs> 36 seconds of Antonio Hamilton shitting the bed in one drive. Bad. Bad, yeah, bad, he, bad. He was, he was worst player on the field. He was worst player on defense by far. And the only reason why he did not get my shithead was because out of every starter, he was the one I expected by far the least out of. So for shithead, I'm kind of going, I, I, I'm taking it more to the direction of like who's really let us, who let the team down? Antonio Hamilton, no doubt, let the team down. Don't get me wrong. 
but he's probably also the biggest question mark as to why he made the roster in the first place. Right, because the reason why Antonio Hamilton made the roster is because, number one, Henry Tolliver was terrible. He was worse than Antonio Hamilton, and Antonio <laughs> Hamilton had a bad preseason. Henry Tolliver was also, I'm pretty sure, he was hurt by the end of the preseason. Antonio Hamilton was hurt towards the middle part of the preseason, got healthy, and because Henry Tolliver played so bad when Antonio Hamilton was out, that's why Hamilton got the roster spot. I wish I wish that's how that worked in a, in my job. What, I, I can just take some time off on vacation, but then whenever my replacement, uh, he fucking shits the bed? So then I come back and I get a raise. <laughs> I wish that's how that worked. Well, and also, I think even more importantly, the main reason why the guys on the field and on the team is because Sam Beal is hurt again. We can't think that Sam Beal is realistically on this football team. He's Jacoby Ellsbury. We can't think Sam Beal exists, actually. No, we, we can't. I think he's a mythical creature. We've been talking about it for the last three weeks, David, that if you are a Giants fan, you cannot use Sam Beal as an excuse for this football team. I'm not using it as Excuse, I'm just pointing out this is why Sam Beal continuing to be hurt hurt so bad because this would be him. But we don't even know how good Sam Beal is because he hasn't even seen him on the football field. We imagine he'd have to be better than Antonio Hamilton. Uh, I I guess. And better than BW Webb. Bad and worse. Um so that's uh that's my main giant shithead of the week. I did I already you already gave it to Bethea. Um I'm not giving you're, it to anybody else on the defense. You already shit on Ogletree. Yeah, I already Alec Ogletree doesn't deserve our attention. Michael Thomas is bad. Jabril Peppers played bad again. A guy that just got bit by play action left and right. Jabril Peppers was cramping at one point in the game, I believe, and that's why Michael Thomas was in. I think. D- don't ask me why. Uh, I guess it didn't really make even much of a difference to, for this football team, especially in the first half. David, I want to talk about DeAndre Baker. DeAndre Baker is not getting our giant shithead of the week because, frankly, he does not deserve it. But I did have high expectations for DeAndre Baker, possibly too high. I really thought that he was going to come out, and I really did think that he was going to really play well. Certainly did not expect, you know, obviously did not expect him to play that poorly. But, David, we need to talk about how we said on DeAndre Baker's previewing the Giants episode. We know his weaknesses. His weaknesses is his straight line speed. Where he is at a plus and where he is at an advantage is when he is able to get his hands on wide receivers at the line of scrimmage, slow them down, slow their momentum down, so therefore it is easier for him to keep up with them down the field. Every single time I watch the coach's film, DeAndre Baker is playing five yards back. DeAndre Baker is playing 10 yards back from the line of scrimmage, 10 yards back from the wide receiver. Even when he was playing close to the line of scrimmage, you saw on that Amari Cooper touchdown, even when Dak Prescott gave a hard count, when DeAndre Baker was close to the line of scrimmage, you saw him start to run backwards right away. The priority was not slowing the guy down at the line of scrimmage, and that is putting him in an extreme, extremely vulnerable position. And we talked about this. We knew this. You would hope the Giants would know that. So really, 
not much of a surprise to see how and when DeAndre Baker failed this past week. The only thing that I'm genuinely confused by is is some of the defensive scheming on Sunday. It was very conservative. It, it w- most I, I'll say it was it was often too conservative. Rarely any pressure coming up the middle. And shout out to a friend of the podcast, uh, Anthony. Um, he asked Bobby Skinner and I, "Did you guys see any pressure coming up the middle?" And when we we watched the film. No, it was a lot of the pressure that was being sent. If there was a fifth rusher, rarely was there a sixth guy being sent in to to rush the passer. But a lot of it was just coming from the edges. And if you're sending another guy around to Tyrone Smith, uh, yeah, good, good luck getting around him. Good luck getting around him and good luck getting around that left side of the line. You're also facing a mobile quarterback who can easily step up in the pocket that the guards are no doubt allowed are, are, are creating for him. That being said, so that confused me. What also confused me was the way the secondary was used. All summer we've been talking about getting these guys in plus situations, getting them in situations that fit their skill set the best. That is not what James Betcher allowed DeAndre Baker to do. That is not what DeAndre Baker did. I don't know if that's coming from Betcher. I don't know if that's coming. I don't know if that's Baker being afraid to get beat. By, by potentially stronger and quicker receivers than he's used to. But that's confusing to me. The Giants' defensive scheme seemed to, set, seemed to be setting out to stop something that they didn't get. They, they, they sold out to stop the run, and the Cowboys were very happy to hit them up and down the field, 8 to 12 yards, slant, 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 hit him deep, slant, slant, hit him deep, slant. It was, it was consistent. They executed their game plan to perfection. On the Andre Baker point, and I want to say this to anybody who's getting on any of the rookies, whether that's complaining about, you know, I, I haven't seen too many people complain about Dexter Lawrence, though what we were afraid of was a guy who was only going to be a two-down guy. Olsen Pierre had more snaps than Dexter Lawrence did. That's a problem. But anybody who's complaining about Dexter Lawrence's production, complaining about DeAndre Baker's production, Baker specifically, if Daniel Jones comes in the game at any point and really shits the bed, the entire world is going to say, well, this is why you put a rookie in. This is why we allowed him to get reps. This is why we allowed him to play, to work through the kinks, figure it out, get experience in his rookie season. DeAndre Baker is a rookie who's doing exactly that right now. If you can, If we're willing to give that to Daniel Jones, if we're willing to give that to any rookie, Willing to give them the benefit of the doubt on these plays, you got to give it to Andrew Baker too. You need to allow him the ability to have a rough first game of his NFL career and what might be a rough second game and third game. Who knows? He's a rookie. He's afforded that. And that's why I think, Justin, you and I both are not willing to give him shithead of the week, even though I see a lot of people who are really, really critical of Baker. Give it time. Just relax. You you gotta you gotta know the player. You have to know the situation before you can be super critical about a guy. And I don't think Giants fans know exactly know the player fully. David, I wanna work back to your point where you were talking about how basically the Giants almost seemed like they were preparing for a Dallas team that 
was very different than what we actually saw on the football field. So I've been doing some fantasy football research and the part of the fantasy football research that came out was how Dak Prescott is actually a pretty solid fantasy quarterback. So part of the part of that research consisted of this. And this is from the uh the Big Dogs Got to Eat Fantasy Draft Guide. So I have to give a shout out to them. Before Amari Cooper arrived in Dallas, Dak Prescott averaged 29 pass attempts per game, eclipsing 30 attempts in a game just twice. From that point on forward, after Amari Cooper arrived from weeks 9 to 17, Dak's passing tendencies shot up from 29 to 35.6 passes per game. David, that's more than a six, that's more than six passes per game difference right there. Including a game with a career high four passing touchdowns, which he tied this week, and a separate game with a career high 455 passing yards. Prior to Cooper coming over, the soon-to-be 26-year-old QB had never thrown for more than 332 yards in a single game, and that's in 45 career games, including playoffs. Now, fantasy-wise, the only QBs that were better than Dak last year, once Amori Cooper arrived, was Patrick Mahomes, Big Ben, and Matt Ryan. So basically, why I bring up kind of like the fantasy football mindset of things is that the team that I feel like the Giants were preparing for was week two of the 2018 season Dallas Cowboys. That's what I feel like they were preparing for. They were not preparing for this kind of new Dallas Cowboy team where Dak Prescott is throwing the ball almost 36 times a game, which is a lot, and that's an average. So really, in terms of scheme-wise, in terms of where Jabril Peppers' eyes were, where Antoine Bethea's eyes were, where these linebackers' eyes were, every single time the Cowboys ran play action, which they ran play action 46% of the time, by the way, they were preparing for the run, they were preparing for a run-first team and not a team that passes the ball 36 times a game. All right, let's move to the offense. So I was vocal at the beginning of the show. Um, I'm not super critical of the offense. Not super critical. When the time of possession stats by the end of the game are 32 to 27, 32 minutes Dallas, 27 minutes Giants. And at the end of the first half, when they were 19 minutes Dallas, 10 minutes Giants, it's tough to be super critical when the offense doesn't have the ball. Here's the things that you can be critical of. They were two for 11 on third down. Play calling on third down. Very bad. Especially the second drive of the game. Not utilizing 12 personnel consistently. Not passing out of running formations more often, which leads to positive results from play action. So David, let's just get to the point of not utilizing Saquon enough. The Giants had four possessions in the first half. One was a touchdown. Good. No doubt. The other was a drive that was ended by a bad play call slash the 12 men on the field, no penalty Dallas timeout, which I think was solely a home field advantage call. Yes, but it's also also something you need to be, you need to be prepared to play with. That's just the way the NFL works. Which changed the entire momentum and complexion of that game, right? Yes, you're correct. You're correct. Right. Just pointing it out that that is a thing that not many people are talking about that changed the entire complexion of the game. So that was the second drive of the game. We were driving. We were driving down the field. Eli Manning gets the intentional grounding call, which, yes, it was an intentional grounding, 
the NFL rules are if the ball does not reach over the line of scrimmage, but it was, but the receiver was in the area though. They were claiming the receiver wasn't in the area and the ball didn't reach the line of scrimmage. And well, I do think the receiver was in the area. And my point is, I, I get your point. I'm gonna let you. I'm, I'm gonna let you finish, and then I'll and then I'll. Because I I am critical of Eli on that. Very critical of Eli. Yeah, I, I mean, the receiver Barkley was in the area, but at the same time, the ball did not get to the line of scrimmage. So if the officials feel that they can throw the flag on that, they can. Fine. Criticize them all you want. So that was the second drive. There was a third drive that didn't go anywhere. And then the fourth drive of the first half was that one-minute drill. And I believe there were eight plays in that drive. You're not going to run the ball with one minute left and only two timeouts. So that's eight plays right there where Saquon didn't get the ball, where fans who are not analyzing the game correctly are saying, oh, yeah, uh, look at all the plays where Saquon didn't get the ball. You're not going to get Saquon the ball with one minute left. Okay. Again, time of possession at the end of the first half was 19 to 10. Second half, first drive. Giants have that huge play that goes to Cody Latimer. Eli Manning had an incredible play. It was shades of Super Bowl 42. He was about to get sacked. Later, they were driving down the field. It was a fourth and eight. Ball went to Benny Fowler. They were driving down the field. They were passing the ball efficiently. Saquon didn't get the ball that much. They put three points on the board. Fine. There was one play within that drive that you can really make an argument that said, okay, Saquon should have gotten the ball on a second and nine. That's it. They still found a way to put three points on the board. It was 21-10. We're in the ball game. And then after that, David, so Dallas gets the ball back. It's 28-10. The Giants are down by three, three touchdowns. I just basically took you all the way through the middle of the third quarter. Where do people want these carries to Saquon to come from? You're not going to hand the ball off that much when you're down by three touchdowns. It's lazy. People want a scapegoat. They want someone to point their finger at, uh, whether it's the coaches, whether it's Eli, whether it's uh, the defense, whether it's Antonio Hamilton. They want a scapegoat. They want to be able to point their finger somewhere. But sometimes it comes down to just the the team you're playing is just better than you. The mark, the mark of a good team, what every single coach and every single team sets out to do any, every every single Sunday, Thursday, or Monday when they play is to execute your their game plan to perfection, which in turn will more importantly force the other team to play your kind of game, to play the game that they want you to play. And what the Cowboys managed to do was get the Giants to play the game they wanted them to play, which was Eli has had to throw the ball 44 times. Eli Manning should never throw the ball 44 times. It's that simple. That's not on Pat Shermer. That's tip your cap to the to the Cowboys because they forced the Giants into that. Saquon Barkley should never carry the ball only 11 times. And on the same game, if Eli Manning threw the ball 44 times, it's what it's what Dallas wanted. If if you ask any team how to beat the Giants right now, the answer is going to be make Eli Manning have to play quarterback. Unfortunately, the Giants are at that point as a franchise. Elaine Manning is at that point as a, of a, as a quarterback, and it's been that way for a little while. Every team's goal is to make Eli throw the ball, not to allow Saquon to run the ball, and it's exactly what Dallas did. That's the mark of a good team. It's the mark of a superior team, and they are they are a superior team. I know it hurts for a lot of Giants fans. Giants fans would rather look inward than outward 
to find the problem with Sunday. They don't want to say the Cowboys are that much better than the Giants, but they are. They just are. So you want to find fault with somebody. I understand that there are plays we can pick. There are little things we can pick here and there. Bet you're being conservative. Uh, yeah, there were plays that I think Saquon should have gotten the ball. You shouldn't be getting cute on a third and third and fourth and one. You should be running the ball with the best player in potentially the NFL. That's all well and good, but that's going to account for what? Two or three more carries. 13 carries still isn't a good thing. Saquon should be should be over 16, 17 carries a game, 18 carries a game, up to 20 in my opinion. So what if Eli is 30 for 44? With 300 yards, granted, I know some of it was garbage time, but if Eli Manning is, I don't, and also, David, we differentiated the difference between checkdowns and simply throwing behind the first down marker in our previewing the Giants Eli Mm -hmm. Manning episode, where people are like, oh yeah, uh, Carson Wentz and Drew Brees are, look at how much they're throwing the ball behind the first down marker. Eli Manning is doing the same thing. Where it's like, yes, that's true, but Eli Manning wasn't checked down city. He was not checked down city against Dallas this week. He was not. These were designed plays that were just simply designed not to go far. The only t- the only point of the game that I felt like Eli got a little checked down happy and became a little checked down city was end of the third quarter into the fourth quarter. But by that point, the game was blown open. Dallas was in a was in a soft, soft cover four. Nothing is getting they're not allowing anything to get behind them. Everything is going to be kept in front of them. So that's all that was there. So he was taking right. what they gave him. And that's the definition of garbage time. So that that is my my overall take on the Saquon didn't get enough touches and Shermer's an idiot. He should be out. And what do you like you're saying, Justin, what do you want right. them to do? Where are these carries coming from? Next week. Next week. If the same thing happens, if we're looking at Eli throws the ball 45 times, Saquon runs the ball 12 times, and it's a four-point game, we've got a big problem on our hands. Because then this is a team that doesn't, doesn't know who they are, doesn't get their own personnel, and and that's, a, that's an issue. But you have to imagine that next week they're able to hang in the game a lot more. They can force Buffalo into their game plan rather than the other way around. Dallas is just better. I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, really, that that's that's really it to analyze with this offense. Offensive line was great. Yep, absolutely. Saquon Saquon Barkley was great. The receivers were great. Eli Manning. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, it's a shame about Shepard. That's that's huge. It's big. That's kind of it's huge. big. And people aren't people are so people. This is what this is. I think what's like aggravating at the heart of your your you mentioned how frustrated you are with Giants Twitter, and this is just a great example of of how ridiculous it is post game. I forgot how bad it was after games. It took it took me having a post game to remember how bad it was. Sterling Shepard's number one receiver on the team, and he's in concussion protocol, which all but means he's out this week. We like, I don't think it's official, but he's out. Yeah, you're already missing Golden Tate, but people people aren't talking about it because we're still so focused. On Antonio Hamilton, Pat Shermer's lack of giving Saquon the ball in what was at, at one point a 25-point game, that we're not talking about the fact that the best remaining wide receiver on the team is out, won't play this week. That's huge. It's enormous. That's the difference between being 1-1 one and one going into two more winnable games and 0-2 oh 
and beginning to scramble. We love Cody Latimer, but it, even against the Buffalo Bills, which, you know, that defense is nothing to sneeze nope. about. And frankly, with our defense right now, their offense is nothing to sneeze about. There's nothing. No offense in the NFL is nothing to sneeze over for this Giants defense. You know, you're not we're not feeling great with uh, Cody Latimer, Benny Fowler and a Russell Shepard 11 personnel combo. The place you're not the feeling place great about where that. this the place where the Giants are are in trouble is. is and this was always going to be the problem. The limitation at the moment for this team is they have the potential to be very good when they play well, if that makes any sense. When this team plays to the best of their ability, I have a belief that this team can compete with basically anybody. I honestly do. When they get clicking. The problem is just this is just based on the reality of the way the roster's put together, the experience on the defense specifically. They they can't falter. They need to be perfect. They don't have room for error. The offense does not have room for error based on the style of offense they're playing and based on the defense they've got. Right. The Giants can't afford to start getting into a punt. You know, the Giants can't afford three punts in the game. Because by design, they're only going to have a handful of possessions because they should be all about ball control and and score and take long drives, take a page out of the Cowboys playbook, what they did on Sunday. That should be the, the game plan for the Giants going in. So you can't afford to punt too many times because you're not going to leave yourself too many scoring possessions. And the defense that can't stop anybody, you got to make the most of every possession. So that that's where I f- have frustration with the offense on Sunday is, is they were good, but you can't afford some of the mistakes they made. And now, especially with Shepard going down, you can afford them even less. You can't. Now we say that they're good with an asterisk because those play action rollouts in short yardage situations aren't great. I would much rather see a play action rollout on a first and 10 or a second and 10 compared mm-hmm. to a third and one, or especially when you're in the red zone, especially when you're in the red zone, when the field automatically shrinks because Eli just doesn't have the mobility. That's just not in his strengths. That's not in his call. It's not in his calling cards, if you will. So that's an issue. But again, it's such a small nitpicky issue and it's being so blown up compared to actually what happened in this game, which again, you go back to the beginning part of this episode, these mental errors, these penalties, the 12 man on the field timeout, which changed the entire complexion of the game. There are certain moments in an NFL game that changed the game. Those moments changed the game. Now the giants were going to lose this game, no matter what, because their defense was so putrid, but I guarantee you it wouldn't have been as bad. Saquon Barkley would have gotten the ball more if these penalties and mental errors did not occur. Because they would have been, they would have been able to stay in their game plan. Uh, David, uh, Daniel Jones saw the field I, I, a little bit I, for, for a minute. I want to talk about Daniel Jones seeing the field for a minute, even less than Pat Shermer wanted to talk about it. I would agree. It, I think I just needed to bring it up. It's it it was a blowout game. You have a rookie quarterback and they did the right thing. They should have done it two possessions earlier. They should have gotten him a little a little bit more in my opinion. Uh yeah, he fumbled. He got me negative 2 fantasy points. He's a, he's on my team. I took him. It's a, it's a, it's a keeper league. You never know what could happen. Is he on your Oh, is he on your bench? Yeah, he's my he was my sixth. He has to be. He has to be. He was my bench. 16th pick. So if it, so in the keeper league, 
that's pretty that's a pretty that's a pretty solid move in my opinion that being said yeah um yeah i mean i mean he hit he hit the same checkdowns and i think this was this is what was frustrating to a lot of people who wanted to see daniel jones you're watching what eli manning is doing what what dallas was giving him put daniel jones in there he can he can hit the same checkdowns and same underneath routes that eli's hitting and you, you, you get him you a little game yeah, action. Yeah. I don't think it, it, it doesn't make a difference one way or another. And to anybody who believes that this might be a sign that, that, you know, they're, they're flirting with the idea of put, of starting Daniel Jones. Soon, it's not, it's just a rookie quarterback getting some reps in a blowout game, trying to protect Eli. That that's all it is. Yeah. If, if we lose week two, I definitely think it's going to be thought about a little bit more. Based on the way, based on where this team is, and and their the improvements they in theory made over the summer, how well Daniel Jones played in the preseason, and the fact that those first four games they could very easily walk out three and one, if they walk out one and three, I wouldn't be shocked if we saw Daniel Jones start at home against Washington, against your weakest division foe, comfortable environment, the crowd will be going crazy for him. I I could see it, and 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 I think people think that's really crazy. It's Justin. It's on top of us. That changing of the guard is on top of us. Yeah, I'm not I'm not fully ready to embrace it yet because I really do think, like David, I really do think. And if you're a listener of this podcast, even going back to last season, you know how negative I can be about the Giants because losing sucks, and they've been doing a lot of losing. I really do think, David, that these next three weeks, they have an opportunity. They have an opportunity to prove to the entire NFL, I don't care if it's against bad football teams. They have an opportunity. Now, Washington's not even that half bad. Washington played a solid half of football against the Eagles where they were up 20 to <laughs> nothing. Um, and then they obviously you know, let that game go the second half. But Philly's a very good football team, neither here nor there. They have an opportunity to just prove to the NFL that they could just win football games. They could just win them. Start to win again. And start to win the football games when they matter. That is the important part, David. They need Mm -hmm. to show that they can win football games when they matter. And that is what I'm hoping they really, really try to embrace these next three weeks. Because I hope they do it. I hope they do it. I n- remember during the preseason where I was like, eh, what's best for the franchise? Eh, what's best for Daniel Jones? Eh, what's best for the season? David, I hope they go out these next three games and win. Because I know for a fact, at this rate, the way that this defense looks, and I just think the way that the season is going to go, it's a tough schedule the second half of the season. We will see Daniel Jones for multiple games. I think we will. Mm-hmm. But these next three games, David, where these are winnable football games, give me those three games. Give the fans some sort of sign that you are headed in the right direction. And now the benefit of now the benefit of bringing Daniel Jones out, even just if it was for two minutes or one drive. The next time Daniel Jones sees the field, that will not be his first time stepping foot on an NFL field during the regular season. If there is one thing that that did for the Giants, it did that. He got his first NFL completion, and he stepped foot onto a football field during the regular season. So now that bugaboo is off his chest. It's off his back. He also got his first turnover out of the way, and it was a turnover that meant nothing. But you could see it in his face. He was very, he was very disappointed in himself. He looked distraught. He really did. Yeah, that's actually kind of 
I don't know if I'm concerned. It, I mean, that's obviously good, right? That's obviously good. I think it's that a good thing. You have a guy who's emotional and you have a guy that is very critical of himself. But I hope, like, because they're, you know, he's going to throw eventually his first NFL interception. He hasn't done it yet. Right. But when he does, I hope that he's not one of these guys where he psychs himself out. I don't think he is. I don't think he is. And you know what? If he, he's a quarterback, he's a rookie quarterback. And when he throws his first pick, which he will this season probably, yeah, he might. it might screw him up for the next quarter. But that's a rookie quarterback. And that's to your point, Justin, which has been your point for some time now, that's why you give rookies reps. You work those kinks out. You 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 get those jitters out. The quarterbacks begin to mature and understand. Yeah. Okay, that's in the past. Now we move. We now we go. We keep going. I th- I think I think he'll be that kind of guy ultimately, but it'll take a little bit of time, I'm sure. Um. So yeah. So the the whole Daniel Jones thing getting in the game, it, it's great. Whatever. Who cares? It right now it's not important. But like we've been saying, these first four games shape everything for this team. These first four games will decide, and now these next three games will decide, I honestly believe, will decide for the team, are we competing for this year? Or are we trying to do the best we can, not tanking, doing the best we can, and looking ahead till next year? Because I think if they walk out 3-1, and one, this team's thinking, we're in the thick of it. And we're, we're clicking, defense is growing, they're coming together. Then they play New England on a Thursday night. <laughs> and they pay, then on they a, play New England. No, on a fun. short week Thursday night, no less, in Foxborough. In Foxborough. Um, David, uh, do we're going to end on this. Do the New York football giants win this Sunday against the Buffalo Bills? Uh, we'll go into more detail on the pregame show, but yes, I believe they do. I said last week that the giants are going to lose. I say 139, no, 169%, nice. bleeding blue after dark, 169%, the New York football giants are going to win this Sunday. Attaboy. I am not going to describe, I am not going to describe that this will be a clean game. I'm not going to describe if the defense is going to be, allow 350 yards to uh, Josh Allen, who's fucking terrible, but they're going to win. They're going to find a way to win. And we will be there to experience it and enjoy it. And put out some content for it, probably, at least, especially before the game. We will definitely uh, do some kind of a live stream. Right. I am extremely confident. Extremely confident. I love it. I just think we're going to do it. All right. So uh, keep on bleeding blue. Keep on bleeding blue. Go, Giants. Go, football Giants. We will see you next week. David, get us out of here. Everyone, be kind to each other on Twitter. It's one football game. There's plenty of time left. Be kind to each other and stay beautiful.